the uh, red heifer has appeared on the scenes. And everybody thinks the end is now. Save yourselves. Uh, I'm even seeing single people feeling the urge and the rush to get out and get married. You know, there's a red heifer now. The, the, the temple, the third temple reconstruction, it's imminent. It's time to get out and get married. <laughs> you remember that uh, uh, COVID-19 in the initial lockdown? I saw that. A lot of single people ran out and got married. They thought it was the end of the world and it was the proper motivating factor. <laughs> and thus, a lot of our content about healthy relationships was born. Uh, this happened with the, the Russia-Ukraine war. People said, forget about the rapture. <laughs> I'm getting married. <laughs> Get a rush on it, right? But... Anyway, uh, I I think getting married is getting married is great. Single people need to get married and enjoy each other. It's a beautiful thing. But uh, the signs of the end of time, the signs that the catching away of the church, the signs of the day of the Lord, the signs of the tribulation, all of that should motivate you mainly to do one thing, and that is to be ready for it all. To be ready for it all. For Jesus even said himself. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That's what it's all about. Bible prophecy doesn't exist uh, for you to look smart. It doesn't exist for you to uh, look like a great student or a great Bible teacher. It exists to give people a heads up of what is to come. We don't know everything that is going to go down in Bible prophecy. We know in part and we prophesy in part, meaning if you're able to interpret all of Bible prophecy correctly and accurately, you still only know a small portion, a very, very small fragment of everything that is going to happen. Uh, So remember that when it comes to Bible prophecy, I've been observing a problem for a long time now. A lot of Bible prophecy, uh, quote unquote, scholars they take events that happen and squeeze it into the word of God, twisting the scriptures so they can sell their magazines and get uh, plays and thumbs up and stuff. And everybody's like, "Woo, that is so cool. That's so awesome. I've never been able to do that. I've tried. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm probably missing out on some opportunities. I've tried to figure out who could possibly be the Antichrist, who who fits the description the best and squeeze it on up in there. Or who, who is Mystery Babylon, the great harlot on the scarlet-covered beast? My God. I mean, they've, they've got all kinds of uh, predictions out there. Some say it's uh, Nancy Pelosi. Um, uh, old girl used to be a bartender. I can't remember her name. Alexandria something. AOC, her. All of that. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. It, see, Bible prophecy, a lot of it, you can't predict it. You just wait for it to happen, and then you know what's what's next. You know, Isaiah, when he prophesied, a virgin shall conceive. I'm sure when that flew out of his mouth, came off his pen onto his scroll, he thought, what in the world does this mean? He had no idea that it would be a little girl from Nazareth named Mary. No idea, but he just wrote it down, believed it was from God, and there you have it. It wasn't fulfilled until about 800 years later. For that generation and that time. And that's how Bible prophecy is going to work. A lot of us, we have no idea what we're talking about. But the generation that all of it is fulfilled in, they will know. You are listening to Justin C. Gleason. Please consider following and keeping this podcast playing in the background of your productive day. 
Give a five-star rating and support by giving through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. It's 2022, the year we prevail. I, I'm just very careful and cautious. I work out my interpretations of Bible prophecy with a lot of fear and a lot of trembling because I, to this day, I've never been off or wrong on anything that I've spoken to come to pass ever in my life. And it's not because I've stayed reserved. It's I don't, I'm just not one of those guys that say it could mean or it's almost certain or it's likely to come to pass. No, I say this is how it is. But with Bible prophecy, I teach a lot of what has been fulfilled, what I think is being fulfilled now and what will come to pass in the future. Not a whole lot of details, but just present the facts as the Bible gives them. That's what Paul did. That's what John did. That's what Peter did. It's all you got to do. And when you preach it and teach it, watch the people repent and get ready for the coming of the Lord. That's what we're after. So uh, I was at Urshan College uh, a few weeks ago and ran into a listener there, one of the students, I think his name is Brandon. And I asked him, "What do you have any uh, uh, requests on content that I can present? And he said, Bible prophecy, without even thinking. And I thought about it. I really haven't talked a whole lot about Bible prophecy here on this podcast. I do a lot of that from the pulpit here at our local church, the Life Church in Kansas City. And I do it every year, usually around this time, around the, the time of the fall, and the, the time of the fall feast, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. Because I believe those feasts are a shadow, a foreshadow of things that are to come in Bible prophecy, such as the catching away of the church, that's Feast of Trumpets, uh, the tribulation period, the judgments of God upon the earth. Uh, that during the day or feast of atonement that is the tribulation period and then the feast of tabernacles is a fulfillment of the lord setting up his kingdom here upon the earth so that's when we uh, talk about these things on an annual basis i reference them here and there in the pulpit so uh, based upon a request from a loyal listener a total podhead we are going to talk about bible prophecy today and uh, lord willing and if my mind <laughs> stays focused maybe in the next few weeks we will bring you content about bible prophecy it's it's a very difficult place to know where to start so i just (laughs) kind of shuffled through some uh ideas that i had and just kind of you know i waited on god to give me a signal and answer and i didn't get one so whenever i don't feel a direct answer from god i just pick one and just pray that god blesses it and it works so that's what we're going to do right here, uh, right now on this episode, reading to you from Matthew chapter 16, verses 27 through 28, Jesus says, the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Remember that. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. John chapter 1, verses 20 through 24. Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, 
What is that to you? You follow me. Then the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Here in this passage in John 21, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple, that is John. That is John, uh, the one who wrote First and Second and Third John, also Revelation, and of course the Gospel of John. Okay, so you have Jesus during his uh, training time with his disciples, his, his apostles. He tells them, "There are some of you that stand among us. You're going to see the kingdom of heaven come before you die." And here in John 21, he reiterates that John, the beloved disciple. He is not going to die until he sees the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So the seeing the kingdom of heaven, I know we say the term rapture and heaven and all that. Well, there's some more terms that are used that I think are used more often. You know, a lot of times people can't believe in the pre-tribulation catching away of the church because it's not clearly in scripture. Well, I, you know, I'm pre-tribulation. I believe that doctrine, and I know I would agree with that that scenario that people put out there. It's not clearly seen in Scripture. That's right. It's mysterious. It doesn't require a thought-for-thought uh, thought interpretation. It's rather the idea behind it. The Bible doesn't specifically say it, but it shows it type thing. And I think this also is the approach that Jesus is taking here with this passage. There's some standing here that won't die until they see the kingdom of God come. It's not saying they're going to be raptured up, but they're going to see the kingdom of God come, which is a big, it's a term that covers a wide range, a big picture of the future that is to come. And that is the catching away of the church, the tribulation, the judgment, uh, the uh, millennial kingdom, and then new heaven and new earth, like a fire for all eternity. That's seeing the kingdom of God come. It's essentially when the empires, the nations, the world powers are brought to nothing and Messiah sets up his kingdom. The government's put up on his shoulders and it has no end. It will never be brought down. That's what that's speaking of, the kingdom of heaven. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. It's The day of the Lord is all over the Bible. It bears a greater purpose in the heart of God. You know, the kitchen away of the church is for us, for us to be uh, taken out so we're not judged along with this world. And those who are left behind, the backslidden church, uh, that generation, the elect of Israel, all of that have to go through the tribulation and hopefully it, it moves them to want to follow truth and obey the Lord. They're all going to lose their heads, but don't worry, your head will be put back on. <laughs> And you'll be resurrected and uh, live and rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years. But for us who are caught up before all of that, our future home is the new heaven, the holy city. That's where you want to be. Praise the Lord. It's the best opportunity you'll ever get. So Jesus says there's a disciple that's going to see all of that before he dies. Who was that disciple? Who was it? Was it Judas? No. <laughs> he betrayed the Lord and then killed himself. Uh, by uh, by a suicide. I know some of you out there think want to glorify that and victimize that. I don't. I'm not there yet. Uh, he uh, betrayed the Lord and uh, just drove himself to madness, hung himself. You can read about it in Matthew 27. In the year AD 33, so Judas, nope, it was not him. He is not a disciple who would have seen the kingdom of God come before his death. Was it 
the uh, James, the son of Zebedee. It wasn't him. He was executed by Herod in Acts chapter 12. What about the apostle Peter? Surely it must have been him. No, no. He never saw the kingdom of God come. He was crucified upside down. Uh, some say uh, it happened in Rome. Not so sure about that. It could have actually even been in Jerusalem is where he was crucified upside down. Uh, you have Andrew. Could have been him, one of the apostles. Uh, it's, it's According to Christian history, he traveled north as far as Russia. Went into Russia. And at that time, the uh, Romans, the Greeks called that territory there in southwest Russia. Uh, the land of the man eaters, land of the man eaters. It's up in Russia, which uh, Turkey, all of that, Asia Minor. But Andrew was crucified, so it didn't. It, it did not get fulfilled with him. What about Thomas? Thomas spent a lot of his ministry in eastern Syria, and then went far into the far east into India. India was it him? Did he see the kingdom of God come before he died? No, he didn't. He was pierced through by uh, spears. Four soldiers ran him through with their spears, and he died, martyred for the name of Jesus. You then have Philip. Was it him? I don't think so. He went down to North Africa and Asia Minor, but he was executed by a Roman proconsul, whose wife he actually converted. That's right. Philip was preaching, teaching, healing the sick, and the wife of a Roman proconsul believed, converted. This Roman proconsul guy uh, didn't like it and had Philip executed. So it wasn't him. He did not see the kingdom of God come. What about Matthew? He went into Persia and also Ethiopia. He was stabbed to death. Bartholomew uh, was a major missionary. Went to India, Armenia, Ethiopia, Southern Arabia. He was also martyred for the gospel's sake. God bless his memory. James, the son of Alphaeus, went to Syria. He was clubbed to death. Simon, the zealot, went into Persia. He was martyred for refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Mm. Wow. You know, when Jesus said, do not love your life unto death, that's what these disciples did. They all, they all died. They loved not their lives unto death. They preached and uh, they, they didn't care if people got saved or if they got stabbed. They preached no matter what. Uh, Matthias, the one who replaced Judas, he went into Syria. He died by burning. And then you have Paul. Paul the Apostle went to Syria, Asia Minor, Greece, Rome. And uh, he was beheaded in AD 66. My God. There you have it. All these disciples, all these apostles of the Lamb, went all throughout the world preaching and teaching the gospel. None of them saw the kingdom of God come. None of them did. They all died without seeing the kingdom of God come. There's only one left, John, who was probably the youngest of the apostles, 12 or 13, when the Lord spoke to him and said, follow me, and he left his nets. He's the only one that survived. It's around the year 80, 90 or so. He became the bishop of the church and led the ministry out of the city of Ephesus, became the bishop of the church probably after the death of Paul basing his ministry in Ephesus, and uh, there was there's Christian history that he cared for Mary, the mother of Jesus, for many, many decades until her passing. But according to Christian history, Domitian, the wicked, cruel, evil, corrupt, demon-possessed Roman emperor Domitian, uh, wanted to establish himself as a god, wanted to be worshipped and exalted as a deity here upon the earth. 
And according to history, in a lot of the major Roman cities throughout Asia Minor, he set up customs or gates at the, at the entrance of each city. And to enter that city and to acquire a home, to acquire business, you had to pay tribute to Domitian. And then you had to kneel before a great statue of him and confess him to be a god. And if you did that, they would mark either your hand. If you didn't have a right hand, they would mark your forehead as a symbol and sign that you have paid tribute and swore allegiance to Domitian as a god. And uh, according to Christian tradition, a lot of them thought this was the mark of the beast. (laughs) Well, uh, we know that's not true because a lot of the world was able to buy and sell without doing that. Okay, but it was uh, the spirit of Antichrist is in the earth. There's a lot of things that have happened uh, throughout history where you could say, ooh, that looks like the beast. Ah, that looks like the false prophet. But it doesn't come to pass because God stopped it before it could happen. And us in the church, according to Uh, the book of Thessalonians, that you and I are the force that hinders the beast before he arises before his time. So as long as the church is here, the Antichrist can't survive. He can't thrive. He can't come into power because greater is he than is in us than he that's in the world. Uh, The beast will never be able to uh, overcome the church. How about that? You know, Jesus uh, promises us the gates of of hell won't prevail against the church. But you read in Revelation during the tribulation, oh, the beast does prevail against the church. That's why the church isn't in the tribulation. We're caught up out of there. Uh, Everywhere you look, post-trib doctrine, it just does not work. It does not work. So I can't chase that rabbit trail. Back on uh, focusing. Where was I? Oh, yeah. John is in Ephesus. Okay. And Domitian is setting up all these gates of custom. Uh, for people to pay a uh, tribute to him, taxes to him, money to him, and to get his mark and swear that he is God. Well, the Christians at Ephesus wouldn't do it. They said, sure, we'll pay taxes. Our Lord taught us that. But we would believe that only Jesus is the Son of God. We believe he is Lord. Uh, as, as of this Domitian fellow, we don't know anything about him being a deity. Uh, he can't heal anybody. He can't raise anybody from the dead. But Jesus Christ can. So they uh, rebelled and withstood uh, the worship of Domitian. So many of them lost their lives. Domitian hears about this bishop, this leader of the church named John, uh, who uh, is uh, resisting what he wants everyone to do. And according to history, Domitian ordered the death of John by burning in oil. And history says when they lowered John down in that burning hot cauldron of oil, A normal man, his skin would have melted off of his body and he would have suffered and died right there in that moment. But history says they put John in the oil. His skin did not burn. Not a hair of his head was lost. He didn't cry out in pain, but he felt nothing. He did not die. And they pulled him out of that oil. And it's just like the three Hebrew boys coming out of that fiery furnace without even the smell of smoke on them. John gets out of that cauldron of oil without even the smell of that stinky Roman oil. And he survived it, praise God. And Domitian said, if I can't kill him, I'll banish him. So that's what happened. He was banished to the island of Patmos to work in the mines as a slave to the Roman Empire. So there's John. He's an old man. So many things that Jesus prophesied would come to pass that come to pass in his life. You know, Jesus said, greater works would you do uh, than me? John saw greater works than Jesus. Uh, He saw blinded eyes open. He saw the dead raised. He saw the leper cleansed. He saw the gospel uh, spread all throughout the world. There's only one prophecy that John 
has yet to see fulfilled in his life, and that is the prophecy that Jesus said, there are some standing among here, you will not die until you see the kingdom of heaven coming in its power. You will see the kingdom of God before you die. So that's how John opens up his revelation in Revelation 1. He says, I, John, your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, I was on the island called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. (laughs) He certainly was. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's the day of the Lord. I know some say it was on Sunday morning that Jesus appeared to John. No, (laughs) no, no, no. It wasn't Sabbath. It wasn't the first day of the week. No, it's the Lord's day. Uh, That's the, the phrase used by all the prophets. It's the day that God judges and avenges his enemies. It's the day he comes down on a white horse and slays the beast and puts an end to the satanic kingdom. All in one day, by the way. And bind Satan for a thousand years. That's the day of the Lord. Now, John doesn't see it physically. He sees it spiritually. He is taken up into heaven on the Lord's day, and he sees the unfolding of the kingdom of God coming. And it all happened before he died. Praise the Lord. So, Continuing there in verse 10, he says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write it in a book. Send it to the seven churches of Asia, which are in Asia. The seven churches that are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. He says, then I turned and saw the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man. The seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Praise God. Uh, by the way, for those of you that are trying to interpret your dreams, if you ever see a light or a candle the chances are it represents the church. I've learned that. That is the spiritual symbol for the church. It is a golden lampstand or like the golden menorah that would have been seen in the temple. The church in the spirit world, the symbol for it uh, is a lampstand. Maybe some of you are like, huh? Well, think about this. How often do you communicate in text messaging through emojis? A smiley face. You didn't write out, I am so happy you just wrote a symbol, a smiley face. Uh, if you're hungry, maybe you use the emoji of a chicken leg. Uh, If you're ready for a vacation, maybe use the emoji of the beach, right? Maybe if you're uh, angry, use that little uh, emoji of a little angry red face, okay? Maybe if you need to use the restroom real bad, you just uh, text an emoji or a little symbol of a toilet. Okay, uh, so that's what Jesus is doing here. That's how heaven communicates. A golden lampstand represents the church. But the part that I'm focusing on here is John sees the kingdom of God. And he writes about it in Revelation, and it happens before he dies. So I tell you, this will preach. If God said you're going to see something before you die, you're going to see it. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you've been banished by a dictator somewhere on some island to dig for a sulfur. If God said you're going to see it, you're going to see it. And John saw it, just like Jesus said. Before he died, he saw the kingdom of heaven coming to pass not physically but spiritually he got a vision of it just like isaiah did just like ezekiel did just like jeremiah did and daniel got a vision of it and saw details of it that no prophet had ever seen ever and he lived to write about it and we read it and learn from it to this day (laughs) praise god but he sees the angel of the lord i'm not so sure that uh he saw jesus there in that moment but probably the angel of jesus 
is what he saw. Christ himself did not appear there uh, in that moment, but he saw the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Messiah's always had an angel. That's why you have uh, Christophanies in the Old Testament. It's not Jesus. You know, Jesus is not eternally begotten. It's not biologically possible, but there's always been an angel that represents Messiah in the Old Testament. Like you and I have our own angel. Your angel looks just like you. I've never seen my own angel, but I know of people who have seen my angel. He looks just like me. Uh, Just about three or four months ago, a young man in our church was sitting by his mother during service, and my dad was up there preaching, and he says to his mom, hey, mom, what is Brother Justin doing up there on the platform? And she looks up and she says, "Uh, he's not on the platform. Look, he's sitting right over there. And the boy turns and looks and I'm sitting where I normally sit on the front row. And he goes, how is he on the platform and there? So he saw two of me, one where I normally sit and one on the platform. And I questioned the young man about it. And he didn't doesn't know the doctrine of angels representing us. He had no idea about that. But I questioned him and uh, through the sensitivity of the Holy, Holy Spirit, I realized he was not lying. He really did see me up on the platform. It was my angel. It just the Spirit opened his eyes, and he saw me up there on the on the platform. I think that angel was just my angel was getting ready to minister. We had a powerful altar call that day. It was just getting ready to uh, to minister to the people. I, I don't know, but I think that's what Jesus has. He has his own angel that represents him, and this angel still does work uh, for him all throughout the earth. People that say that uh, Christ appeared to them down here on this earth. Uh, I doubt Jesus has left heaven and, and appears to people on the earth. It doesn't work that way. If you see him, you're probably seeing his angel, just like John saw him. And that angel came with great visions of the end of days. John saw it all before he died. Praise God. The Justin C. Gleason podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Please leave a five-star rating and a great review. Contact me at justincgleason at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Justin C. Gleason. And share this episode with your friends. We're taking the genre of religion and spirituality to another level. Notice the first thing that John uh, talks about that he sees from the Lord. He he sees seven golden candlesticks that represent um, the churches. And I want want to break this down for you. I think it's a good thing to understand. Because when it comes to Bible prophecy, when when it's taught, when it's spoken, it's really designed to clean up a church. It's really designed to, to edify the church and to... Uh, correct the church that is the ministry of the prophet the ministry of bible prophecy and that's what john is seeing here jesus christ is coming to clean up and give fresh anointing to the church through the the symbols of the golden lampstand the book of exodus chapter 30 verses 7 through 8 the law commanded aaron to burn uh in at the uh, golden lampstand to burn sweet incense every morning or excuse me the altar of incense in the in the holy place Aaron shall burn it on sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So the command here, and I've read it in in depth in the Talmud, it states here for Aaron, the high priest, or whoever was high priest, as you are cleaning the menorah, you go over and light the altar of incense, not 
clean up the menorah, clean up the lampstand, relight it, then go over and do the altar of incense. No, but it was like supposed to be done together. And according to the Talmud, what happened here is the high priest would come into that lampstand, those seven lights. What he would do is clean out five of them. You know, the 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 uh, flammable oil and the wicks that would be in there, which, by the way, those wicks were linen from um, uh, old garments of the priest. That's what they used to burn them. It's probably where uh, prayer claws came from, to be honest with you. <laughs> Just saying. So uh, what the priest would do is come in and clean out five and leave, leave two on fire. So you clean out five, go over there and light the altar of incense. And then he would come in and through those two that were still burning, he would uh, relight the other five. So you have cleaning five that would burn out. Two, you would usually stay lit through the night. He would then take those two and relight the other five. That is very interesting. Cleaning five, relighting the incense, and coming back and using those two to relight the other five. So look at Jesus when he talks to the churches. He rebukes Ephesus and says, you have lost your first love. He speaks to Pergamos. He rebukes him and says, you have tolerated heresy. Theatira heavily rebukes them. They tolerated idolatry and immorality. Oh, God. Sardis rebukes them. You're a dead church. Laodicea, you're a lukewarm church. So Jesus puts the kibosh, or the angel of the Lord, rather, puts the kibosh, gives the a big shellacking to Ephesus, Pergamos, Theatira, Sardis, and Laodicea. But you look at Smyrna and Philadelphia, absolutely no rebuke. You know what Jesus is doing there? He's the high priest of heaven. He's coming down there to clean up the church, to give it fresh anointing, just like a priest would do uh, to the golden lampstand, the only light in the tabernacle. And Jesus, our high priest, is coming down before he unveils all this Bible prophecy and says, before you want to know what happens, you need to be cleaned up and refreshed and renewed. <laughs> Praise God. And if you ever really want to understand Bible prophecy... Uh, if you're a Bible college student or a, a, a senior pastor anywhere, you want to go after Bible prophecy, you have got to clean up the church first because you're going to waste your time and nobody's going to care. But it takes a truly penitent heart to really be open to these things, to understand these things and follow these things. And a lot of time, Bible prophecy is just simply designed to put a fresh anointing in the church, just like a priest would clean out the golden lampstand. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ did right there in that moment praise god so after he, he cleans him up he does give uh, heavenly promises to the church and notice i didn't say earthly promises and showers of blessings and prosperity and this or that although god does that here on the earth but in revelation to these seven churches every promise that the angel of the lord gives to john to give to the churches they're all heavenly promises so five are rebuked, two are not, but all seven are promised a heavenly promise to Ephesus. The blessing bestowed upon them, the promise is the tree of life. Is the tree of life anywhere here on this earth? Is it anywhere here on this earth? No, it's not. The tree of life you read later on is in heaven. Uh, the crown of life is promised to Smyrna. Is that anywhere here on this earth? No, it's not. We don't get that till we get to heaven. Pergamus, it's promised to get a hidden a hidden manna and a white stone and a new name. Is there any manna still here on the earth? No, it's not. Uh, according to rabbinical tradition, hidden manna, that was the little pot of omer of manna that Moses put in the Ark of the Covenant. And it was said to be the hidden manna that never wasted away. It permanently remained intact, permanently preserved. 
And Jesus promises, if you overcome Pergamos, I'm going to give you hidden manna. And uh, you read later on, the Ark of the Covenant is up in heaven. So, <laughs> so all these people that have been digging around the Holy Land and even following crusader uh, symbols through stained glass windows and... and uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, tombs and all of these grottos and stuff leading all the way back to England. Uh, you're, you're digging in the wrong place there, Indiana Jones. <laughs> it's not in a box saved from Hitler, right? Yes, I may or may not have watched some movies. No, the ark is up in heaven. And one day Christ is going to open that ark up, that heavenly ark, and give us the hidden manna. Probably multiply it like he multiplied bread for 5,000. Come on, somebody. And a white stone with a new name written on it. You know, uh, you look in uh, Greek history, they had those temples made to Asclepius where the Greeks, Romans, whoever would come and uh, wait for the summoning of Asclepius by the temple priest. And apparently people would get healed. Usually they just drugged them up, by the way. Probably where a lot of pharmacia, big pharma comes from nowadays. They would just drug them all up, get them feeling good, feeling high. And apparently they'd have visions of Asclepius, an old man coming down with a big snake wrapped around his staff and would receive healings. Probably what the, the man was doing at the Pool of Bethesda, by the way. It was probably a temple to Asclepius. Jesus comes by and says, take up your bed and walk and stop sinning. Mm, come on. But uh, I've seen some of these archaeological sites for the temples of Asclepius. And you know what they have in the back of them? Big pillars, big white stone pillars and people who apparently were healed by Asclepius would white, write their name on those white stones. So Jesus is saying there to Pergamos, who did have temples to Asclepius, you overcome, I'm going to give you hidden manna, and I'm going to put a new name of yours on a white stone. You're going to be healed in heaven. Praise God. Theatira, God promises them power over the nations in the morning star. Is that an earthly promise? No, it's all heavenly. All heavenly. Sardius promises them white garments and a name in the book of life. Heavenly. Philadelphia, a pillar in the temple of God. And God's new name and city written upon them. Heavenly promise. You have Laodicea. Sit with Christ on his throne. So none of these are earthly promises. They're all heavenly promises. John said that uh, he saw in Revelation 1, Jesus Christ has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory, dominion, honor forever and ever. Amen. You want to know what heaven's going to be like? Study the life of kings and priests. People ask me all the time, what's heaven going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? Am I going to be thin? Will, I, will my hair grow back? You know, the, the, well, I, I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you this. Every vision I've ever had of a spiritual being, uh, everybody looks really good. Okay, everybody looks really, really good. <laughs> but you really want to know what it'll be like in heaven. Kings and priests study the life of how kings and priests live. You'll know exactly what it's like in heaven. So John is up in heaven. It's caught up there after the uh, correction and the cleaning of all the churches. He sees the throne of God. He sees an emerald rainbow. He hears thunderings, lightnings, voices. He sees seven burning lamps. He sees a sea of glass. He sees four living creatures. And he sees 24 elders. The 24 elders, it's really, really, really particularly interesting. All of them have those promises that were bestowed upon the church. So you know what he's seeing right there? A vision of the first thing that's going to come to pass in the kingdom of God coming. And it's the rapture of the church. It's the catching away of the church. When we join heaven, no longer having to pray in your church up to a ceiling, no longer having to uh, pray to Jesus looking at a back wall or a baptism tank or kneeling down and seeing the carpet on the stairs, but you and I will see him face to face. Praise God. 
That day is coming. That day is coming. Yeah, John has seen it. The promise of Jesus. You would see the kingdom of heaven come before you die. John has seen it. Before he saw the four horsemen, before he saw a baton and the locust and the scorpion demons and the, the four hideous spirits under the Euphrates River and the, the, dread, the red dragon, the beast, the false prophet, the, uh, the, those unclean frogs coming out, coming out um, the, the harlot, mystery Babylon, the, the scarlet beast, the final judgment, like, like a fire, all of that. You know what he sees there? The promises given to the church. In the lives of the 24 elders who throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I'm not worthy of this, but you are. Mm. Praise God. Oh, John saw it. The revelation of Jesus Christ glorified. He saw the day of the Lord. He saw those seven churches cleansed. He saw all of those seven heavenly promises to the church fulfilled. He saw the seven aspects of the great heavenly throne room of God. He saw the Lord seated in majesty. He saw the heavenly host worship the almighty God. And you know why he was able to see it all? Because he held on to the word that Christ gave to him. There's going to be some among you who remain here. And before you die, you're going to see the kingdom of heaven happen. You're going to see it come. Praise the name of the Lord. So what about our generation? Are there some of us that are going to remain and be alive and well and be caught up together to meet all of them and the Lord in the air? Mm. When it comes to Bible prophecy, you need to have the faith of John and the determination of John, no matter how young or old you are. If Jesus said you're going to see it, you're going to see it. I mean, I some of my earliest memories as a kid were preachers saying, you are the last and final generation. You are the, the, the uh, rapture generation. You are the catching away generation. And I used to think that's cool, that's sweet, that's powerful. It would make me pray. But I, I'm looking around. <laughs> Everything is happening at once. Pestilences, wars, famines, rumors of wars, nations rising against nations. All of these things are happening. You know, Hosea prophesied that after the second day, he would raise us up. A day with the Lord is a thousand years. We're coming up on 2,000 years since the Lord departed from this earth and glorified in heaven. In the year 2033, 2033, it'll be 2,000 years. So here we are, uh, 11 years away. Is the world being prepared for that moment? Are things being set in place for that moment? It certainly looks like it. Goodness gracious. Things have accelerated and are changing so quickly in the world. It's just as Jesus said it would happen. So we got to remain loyal to the Lord. Remain faithful to the Lord. Let the Lord give you fresh anointing and change uh, your church week to week. Amen. As the priest comes in, our heavenly priest, to give us fresh anointing and fresh oil. Amen. That is Bible prophecy. I know it may not have been what you expected. Some of you probably were hoping that I would break down and explain all of the, the ten toes on uh, Nebuchadnezzar's Colossus that he saw. But now we're breaking something down simpler than that. And even, I think, more uh, relevant for where a lot of us are at right now. When it comes to Bible prophecy, are you ready? Not ready to learn, not ready to understand, but you ready for it to be saved. That's the real question here. That's the real question here. So uh, read your Bible, study your Bible. If you have any questions about this, message me and uh, let me know. Uh, coming back to all those apostles who gave their lives. Man. 
Most of us won't ever know what that was like. But Jesus told them, you're going to be killed. And they loved their lives, not unto death. They were the beginning of this thing. And that's why their names are on the foundations of the new heaven. Praise God. Last one to be killed was John. Some say that he was finally executed. Some say he never died. <laughs> we really don't know what happened to him. Maybe he was translated into heaven. I don't know. But I know this. He saw it. It's real. Revelation is real. I know it's confusing. I know it's scary. The apocalypse is so mis mystical. But really, it's you got to think about this. It may seem odd to us, but really, we're odd to God. Revelation and all that is normal to God. It's normal to the spirit. And you need to quit thinking that it's just mumbo jumbo. You need to quit thinking that it's just, ah, oh, whatever. No, it's real and it's going to come to pass. One day a beast will arise out of that sea and rule and conquer and overcome. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back on a white horse to destroy it all. And will rule and reign forever with the Lord. That day is coming. I love all of you. God bless you. Let's be ready for the coming of the Lord. Amen.